I'm not gonna say when I first found out about you, but when I first seen you make a big splash on the blogs was a mall incident. I believe you were Christmas shopping. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I believe five guys tried to get up on you. Uh, can you take us through that day? Yeah, man, you know what I'm saying? It's like, it could happen to anybody at the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? But it was like a normal day in the hood. Shit, I'm in the mall doing what I do. I was actually there holding down, you know what I'm saying, a couple of the homies that was, you know what I'm saying, from out of town and shit. But long story short, you know what I'm saying, some dudes walked through, they, they started just disrespecting. And, you know, I had to check his temperature, see what they was feeling like, you know? At the end of the day, I felt like I was by myself because I was. I was the only one that felt like I was at home because, you know, it's, it's my stopping grounds. It's Houston. You would never think, you know, shit like that would happen in your own city till it happens. But when you get bigger and shit comes with that, that I don't I don't evidently could tell you that, oh, that's brick. They said, oh, that's brick. You know what I'm saying? It was just on some normal shit. But you see, I came out flawless. Diamonds still on my neck. Everything <laughs> shining. I ain't have a scratch. The little blood I had on me, though, Shana, I promise. On my mama, that was from them. But it was on some, yeah, they try to do some little weak shit and pull my chains and shit, but that's what comes with it. You know, girls like to pull hair. You feel me? <laughs> so wait, wait, wait. So you get approached in the mall, like in the store? Yeah, yeah. We was in. I was in the gallo. I was already. I was already in that hoe. I was right there. I think by like Foot Locker and shit when it popped off. But at the end of the day, like when I was walking out, you know, of course the law, like people get the wrong idea. Like oh, he probably snitching. Nah, fuck all that. <laughs> they came up to me. I refused medical attention. I didn't want to write no statement, none of that. I went to my car, hopped in that bitch, and I called up. You know, the Guavas. Hey, I'm on the way to the hood. Everything's good. I'm straight. You know what I'm saying? And we left it like that. To this day, I still, of course, ain't nobody. You would think how how much success I got and what I'm doing, somebody would come out and say, I did that. But what can they really brag about? You know what I'm saying? Tell me. What can they What can they say? And you had no idea who these guys were. These were just some random guys just plotting on you. Yeah, it was random. It was random than a bitch. But everything like that, shit happens on the random. You know what I'm saying? You got to watch for the snakes, watch for the suckers. What are you doing in the mall by yourself, man, with, with the with the stature you got in your city, man? Why are you in the mall by yourself? Man, I go everywhere by myself, me and my stick. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, I feel like you should be able to do that. Like, you shouldn't have to hide. I know, you know, I'm getting bigger in my career now. You know what I'm saying? I move how I'm supposed to, to how I'm supposed to civil, like I used to move. You know what I'm saying? But I'm in Houston. I'm comfortable. You know what I'm saying? Nobody, if somebody touches me, it has to be because they don't know or they don't know better. But if they if they get with their OGs and you know what I'm saying, ask around a little bit. Shit, our name rings bells from the streets to the cell blocks. Yeah, man, that's that's tough, man. Five guys jump on you in the mall. What do you do to get them off of you? Like, are you? It's like they don't know I used to box though. A lot of people don't know that shit. I. My uncle Jesse, you know, I come from a background of fighters, first of all. Like, I'm a warrior, for, like, before I'm Mexican, you feel me? We were built for this shit. So, yeah. my uncle, he used to box, you know what I'm saying? For Ray's <laughs> boxing gym back in the day, he was four-time Golden Glove state champion. Went to the Olympics, won the Olympics, broke his back, went back and tried to fight for the main event. You know what I'm saying? His name's Jesse Montemayor, born and raised in Fifth War too. So, it's like... I grew up, George Foreman's block was like two blocks down from right here where we at, where we standing right now. It's like right here down the street. He got a church and then he got, you know, the Ali building, the Joe Frazier building. So when I was younger, I didn't want to be at the crib. I was the type like, man, I want to be at the gym doing some shit. So I started, got, got into the boxing shit. I won silver gloves, you know what I'm saying? Silver glove champion. Never got to fight the golden gloves and no shit because 
that's when I started getting in the streets and started doing the music and shit. But being trained, you know, I'm a southpaw shit. I had over 300 bouts, you know what I'm saying? Numerous knockouts, 50 up to 100 knockouts. Like I was, I had a stupid record fighting under George Foreman. You know what I'm saying? They didn't know that. So, wow. Yeah, so, you know, it's protect yourself at all times by any means necessary. Man, well, that's good you made it out because a lot of these rappers ain't making it out, man. It's a lot of, you know, me, you see it on the blogs. A lot of rappers is not making, you know, they go to these venues and, you know, God bless. I mean, you made it out, but like I said before, you were by yourself. A lot of rappers have a whole entourage and things like that, and sometimes it don't go their way. Yeah, you know, they just... You gotta, you gotta know who's around you. You gotta be aware of your surroundings. You know what I'm saying? It's either get eight out here, like no matter what you're doing, you know what I'm saying? How much success you have, if you just a local drug dealer or a local construction worker, no matter what, like everybody's a target. You know what I'm saying? So you just gotta be on point and know, you know what I'm saying? You got the right to bear arms no matter what. So in a situation like that, with or without security, you better pop your shit. Nah, that's real. Did you have any cash on you? Yeah, of course. You know what I'm saying? I had something light on me. Something light. Okay. But they ain't never get, you know what I'm saying? They never get to that point. I was already on their ass before they could even think about it. All right, fighthype.com, Sean Tattel here with the best analyst in the sport. Hey, man, I appreciate that. Uh, it's the truth. It's a lot to live up to. It's the truth. <laughs> and, and Tim is, is the other best, and that's, yes. the, and that's the truth. Um, but, you know, former super How middleweight. How man? Can you see me? I can see. Seems a little dark. Yeah, yeah it's a little dark, but we got you, Dre. Yeah. But, we can, go to, we can get, get back there, some better light over there, like have your back. Yeah, 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 let's do that. Hey, man, my man's been in television now. Yeah, he's, 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 yeah. <laughs> And get the Mark Kriegel booth. So they know who, we talk, who the people who you talking to. That's right. <laughs> all right, fighthype.com here with the best commentator in all of boxing, Mr. Andre Ward, former undisputed super middleweight and light heavyweight champ. Dre, was this the best performance of Terrence Crawford's career? No, I can't say that. I mean, you know, I think it was a great ending. I mean, it didn't start off well. Um, you could argue that Brooke, Brooke won every round. So I wouldn't say it's the best performance of his career, but he, he did what he had to do. Did it look like Brooke was uh, in, in vintage form tonight, like he was as good as he's ever been? Or? Uh, it's tough to say, man. You know, it's tough to say. Um, but, he, but he looked good. I can't say if it's the best he looked, but he looked good. Uh, he was in great shape. We saw that yesterday at the weigh-in. Uh, you saw that again tonight, um, you know, when he rehydrated. Um, he put himself in the, the best position that he could to be successful. You know, when you, you know, read the articles leading up to the fight, you hear he left his family, and, you know, he's been, you know, away from the, the family, and... Um, just really just, just isolating himself for the last eight weeks. That lets you know he's, he put himself in a position to win. You know, Terrence, he stops him around earlier than Golovkin. Uh, what kind of statement do you think that makes? I don't get caught up in that, man. Mm -hmm. you know, I think Brooke called it best. Styles make fights. You know, I, I don't get caught up in, you know, Spence did it in this round and Crawford. Did, it's different styles, different fighters, different nights. It, that doesn't mean anything to me. Is the power surprising, though? Because it, it was really that one right hook that pretty much signaled the end. And, and it took an accumulation from Triple G and Errol Spence. No, you, I mean, it's just, again, different styles, you know? I mean, you know, this is the only sport boxing where, where 
people, you know, overanalyze how a person gets the job done. Mm -hmm. They don't do it in baseball. They don't do it in football. You know, if a guy is a home run hitter, he's a home run hitter. If a guy's a double and triple hitter, then that's what he is. Some guys hit for average. Some guys hit home runs. It just, it just is what it is. You understand what you're looking at. You respect all the different styles. And the big question is, did you get it done? And Crawford got it done, and Spence got it done when he did it. Why do you think he always starts off right-handed when, when he gets most of these knockouts as a southpaw, you know? I don't know, man. You know, he, you know, I read something interesting about Crawford that I didn't really know. He said, we don't really come into the fight with a game plan. You know, he said, we just, we figure it out as we go. And I think that's why he starts slow is because he is collecting data. He is trying to figure out, you know, what stance works, what style he wants to, to fight in, and how to, you know, create the right range to get his shots through. Um, and he tried to do that tonight, but, but Brooke fought a good fight. He fought yeah. probably the best, you know, first three rounds that he could possibly fight. He stayed under his feet. You know, he was a lot quicker than I thought he was. He wasn't just landing jab, but he was just missing some right hands. And, and, and Brooke can hit. His jab was thudded. You could hear it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you started to see swelling on the right eye of Crawford. So, um, you know... You, you got to be happy for Crawford because he did what he had to do, but you feel bad for a guy like Brooks because you, you don't know if he's going to ever get a shot like this again. Once again, he did everything he was supposed to do to put himself in a position to win. He just came up short. Matt, what would you tell somebody... Cause you know how it takes two to three times to f really fuck up, to really mess up, to really go bankrupt. Yeah, for them to really learn and really make money for real. What would you tell somebody on the first time? Cause you know how first time when you fuck up, you wanna quit, you wanna switch what you're doing, you don't believe in yourself, low key. Right, right. Basically, you said, basically when you fuck up, it it don't give you the confidence. A lot of people lacking confidence um, when they trying to pursue something and it don't go right for them, right? Yes, sir. So basically, I'm going to tell you, like, basically with me, right? When I first started doing what I started doing, like, early on, I actually fucked up so many times. You know what I'm saying? Like, I fucked up a lot. And then I was like, man, I can't do this shit. But what gave me motivation was seeing niggas do it, right? So I was like, man, if these niggas can do it, I can do it. You know what I'm saying? So I started, like, fucking with a few niggas who was getting money and shit. And um, I started figuring out the way that, like, how they move, right? So I'm no, I'm noticing these niggas on watch TV. I'm noticing these niggas just strictly focusing on money. Niggas was very well disciplined, right? So I'm like, okay, these niggas, real, they real disciplined. So clearly, I need to be disciplined because at the time when I was trying to make a lot of money, I wasn't very disciplined, bro. You feel me? I was basically, I wanted the money, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't fully giving it my all, you know? Like, whatever, like, you know what I was giving my all at the time? At that time, I was more worried about a female or a job versus what I was trying, what I really needed needed to worry about, you understand what I'm saying, so life is about whatever you want, so whatever you want, you're gonna get, right, so at that time, I really wanted a relationship and a girl, so that's what I got, and I only cared about that, and everything else was second, right, so then I started putting money first, I say, man, let me put money, I put, actually, I put God first, money second, but really money, 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 you know what I'm saying, so God, money and then everything else came after that 
And then I started getting successful with things, you feel me? Stuff started really working because why? Because of my that was my main focus. So it wasn't then it wasn't no female I was worried about like that, or I was strictly worried about a bag, securing a bag. And I was thinking about my future. I was like, man, I need to research. I need to read a lot. I need to be the best. If he can do it, I can do it ten times better. You feel me? <laughs> so,
posted something that was it wasn't go yeah yo and a lot of people reposted it you said you wanted the you, you said you wanted a record deal that's not i'm like yo it's this nigga it's, i'm like yo this gotta be the fuck yeah yo page this can't be the hood fame yeah yo. uh, uh, i know why people it shocked everybody because i always can't fuck the label and shit like that but i just was when you say that shit when you say fuck the label it just really showed the labels like it make them feel like
what do you we need you for? Now it's what you need us for. You know what I'm saying? It's different. Back then, the label had to do everything for an artist, so that's how they used to break artists, because you don't even know the fuck this guy, because he can't even go record himself unless he go pay a hundred hours to some some white boy in a big old studio that don't record number rock bands usually and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? That's so real. Get a demo and take it to an A&R and get it to a label, and they gotta drop the check and put you everywhere and build you. Now I can just jump on YouTube, talk shit on Instagram, and I'll be a superstar. So what I want from a label is either a million dollars cash that I can build into my label, or just shit, I bought my head. I mean, a million dollars. I just, it just changed. I just want to change my life. Like if I, I don't want. I'm still a regional superstar. I'll, I'll, I'll the skin of my back and my game to where I feel like if I sign to a label, you gotta change my life. That's all I feel like. You don't, you don't, you don't feel like labels. Hardly change lives anymore. That's what I'm saying. But they can. They have but the you can get a million dollars if you have a hit or a song that's growing on the charts. But right now, I feel like you're capable of having a hit. But right now, you don't have a I hit. I don't have a hit right now. I right now, that's so one thing I have. That's so, the one thing I'm missing from my career is a global. Hit. Yeah, for sure. And uh, do you feel like that's because you rap about ops a lot? I and nah, cause I got super other songs that have nothing to do with ops and shit. It's just. Fans only gravitate to what they want to gravitate to. You know what I'm saying? Most hits are either organically grown or forced upon. You know that? Was no visa a hit for you? Uh, it was a original hit. It's not a hit because it didn't, it didn't change my situation. It made it better, but it didn't change it. Damn it, man. Damn it, man. Had no word or near the impact of no visa countdown. And I get still looked at and remembered for booming. Damn it, man. That's why I always say my career is... It's got to be something five years later, and he's still talking about a song I dropped five years ago, and they're still saying that. And, but the Countdown No Visa are my two biggest songs because they got the biggest reaction and the fastest reaction that I've ever had. And now, uh, before we sit there, you know what I'm saying? Keep up with the analytics and shit. You know uh, straight up. Uh, okay. So, what if somebody, because if you take a million dollars, you're a million dollars in debt. If you take a smaller cut, you're less in debt, and if you, it's easier to get out of debt. But the only thing with them, uh, a label, like you said, but with the smaller, like with them smaller budgets, a label is only going to give you that. That's that. Hey, that's that. That's that. You know what I'm saying? I wouldn't even, I'll take a million dollar budget and it'll never have to go in my pocket. I'll take that. I don't, I'm not hurting for no paper. I just feel like, I just, you're, if you're going to sign me, you're going to fuck over me. Make sure I'm Which everywhere. Is, yes. I want to be the biggest. Radio. And it's not radio. hard for that. Labels are always allowed, like, man, we can't uh, force me on it. I want that. You got industry plans and shit like that. I'm already too reasonably known, and it's like certain shit, just certain steps that I haven't taken, like, that people look like it's, it get blamed on me, like, because I don't have bitches with, like, super big artists. That's your fault, though. You know I feel saying? like you're not friendly. You don't like to but rub shoulders with people. I, and that is kind of my fault, because I am I am not that friendly and shit like that. I am. I like doing it by myself. I like rapping by myself, my vibe. I can't sing you a song and you send it back and say, I'm better not going to like it. I'm just going to put it out because the fans want it and shit like that. But it's never going to be like, I got a song with the baby. I got a song with uh, plenty of artists that's super big. You know what I'm saying? Reach out to people, reach out to me like that and just... To make good songs, you definitely gotta be in the studio with them and shit like that, somewhere to make a hit. But if I sign to a label, hey, give me this dude on this song. Go put him on. I don't even care to meet him. It's business. I don't care to hang with you. I'm not that rapper. You're right. That's what most rappers do want. They want to goddamn me come hang out with them for a fucking weekend. Then y'all might rap and shit like that. I done did that with all the rappers. 
Hey, man, I did that with all the rappers. Got hung out with them, chill, smoke, drink, everything with them. We lit it, committed. They fuck with me. Every rapper, no rapper I can't see right now in the world is going to walk past me. They go, oh, shit, yeah, yeah, what's up? What's up? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Like you said, I just don't get the songs out of them. If I was signed to a label, I wouldn't even kind of even have to do all that. Hey, go get the nigga on this song. Ooh, whatever y'all got to do, get the nigga on the song. Thug posted you. Yeah, I fuck with Thug Slack. Why is that, guys? Hood fame, YSL, what's, what's up with that? He's open to sign. He signs a lot of people. Yeah, Thug fuck with me, too. What's up? Have you... Have, you know what I'm saying? We in woo, 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 woo. You know what I'm saying? This shit. I really thought he had never reached out to me. Because I had that little situation with yeah. Keaton and got it. Mm. But shit. You know what fuck? And I don't even... That's not even a situation that... I feel like it. that's some super rap shit to me, so I couldn't give a fuck about that. See, Keith and got it. Hey, man, I'm fucking with Thug. Why I said gang, gang, all that shit, man. I don't even fuck all that shit. I'm fucking with bro. You know what I'm saying? But I said that back then when I was even getting to it. Them niggas. Hey, hold on. I fuck with Slime and Pluto. Shout out to them boys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But yeah. Gang shit. Slack. Bitch. It ain't always, always about going to school. Right. We come from the same place. Yeah. I mean, people we see do something on the corner. <laughs> oh, man, you know that was a classic. No, it was. He came to no, talk that talk. He was talking real stuff. It wasn't that many. It was a lot. Bro, you know how many athletes rap? I don't know, man. I was in the... Iverson, Kobe. Uh, Iverson, Kobe. It's a gang of them. Most no, of them rap. They just don't put albums out. I don't like to say he was that, cause, cause my thing, I wasn't trying to be. Look, I know I'm not the best rapper. I know I ain't the worst rapper. I'm okay with being in the middle. And then when you a team player, it's okay. I got somebody better than me. I got like well, I, the worst I, athlete for example, like for example, I know I don't get three in a row without Kobe. I know that. But guess what? I'm gonna do my part. Uh, right? I mean, yeah, I'm gonna do my part. Yeah, so, you did. So, you elbowed uh, the Kim B. Matumbo on right. his face. So, got 45 and 25. <laughs> You definitely did your part. We went through the pain when you did your part. No, but you know what's funny about that series? So he was defensive player of the year. They didn't double me. I take that as a sign of disrespect when you don't double me. It was a sign of disrespect. I mean, it was. I mean, Absolutely. Like, because that was like a 50-pound difference, wasn't it? Okay, I would, listen, I'm 50, 100, don't matter. Like, if you don't double me, that's just telling me you don't respect my game. So, right. like, so, like, I would get it, and, like, I'm looking. I'm like, y'all ain't going to double me? All right. You sure you ain't gonna double? Yeah, sure, y'all sure y'all not gonna double? I'm gonna ask you one more time. You ain't gonna double, and then boom, boom, and then you know just turn around, and then you know all y'all cats in Philly, you know, like, ah, Charlie Mack, we'll and all crazy. that. Uh, yeah, we like, won. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Okay. How, what was the talk in that locker room after Chuck, Bubba Chuck walked over Tyron Luke? The talk was, we let one slip away, they ain't gonna win another. One. Cause we was trying, to, cause we was trying to be the only team to go. That swept the, the whole playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but. We don't like doubling people either, cause, cause now when you double him, all them other cats get up. Like we was like, and we like, okay, AI, you got 55, get 55 again. He couldn't, huh? No, he could, but we, we just had to, you know, we just had a different, different mentality. And and y'all had a better team. And I wish he would have got one. Y'all had a better team. I wish he would have got one. I wish he would have got one too. Because you know why? He's one of the greatest players ever, and it's unfair for the haters to say. You ain't got no ring. You know what I mean? It like is. It, it's, it's, well, you tell Chuck that all the time. 
I gotta switch up. Like 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 Jordan owned this this hood. So I said, you know what? There's a lot of kids that can't afford these shoes. I ain't gonna do nothing with Reebok no more. I'm gonna do something on my own. I'm gonna go to places like Walmart and Target, give them a shoe 30, 40, and now that's my lane. Right. I'm the Pablo Escobar of that. <laughs> yeah, Jordan got this. Right. I got cool, this. But I right. got that. So, right. you know, people try to give me a lot of flack, but it's something that needed to be done. And then I figured out it, it ain't the fact that kids don't want to uh, wear twenty dollars shoes. They don't want to shoes. They don't want to wear shoes that look like they cost twenty dollars. Right. So I got some. So I got some. You know, pretty cool. You know, some pretty hot designers. Never since I made that decision, I've sold over two hundred fifty million pair. Damn. Damn. And like I make a lot of people happy because I couldn't afford Jordans. Right. I tried to cut grass and wash cars and do that. And by the time I raise up the money, they only came with size thirteen. So. I couldn't, I couldn't wear them. But to answer your question, all, all they got to do is just educate themselves. And right. again, ed- education ain't always about going to school. Because mm-hmm. me and you, we know a lot of guys that ain't never went to school True. and they're balling. Absolutely. Balling. And, so. it, and it's also about understanding your weaknesses. That's it. And knowing where, put knowing your, where put you're your, not. Put your, you know, know your strengths and align with your weaknesses. Put them around you. Like, how important is the accountants? But, listen... You still have to educate yourself. Because yeah. if you're not educated, the accountant can tell you anything. They can beat you. Tell you anything. I'm educated enough to go look at the books. <laughs> and my father instilled that in me because 70% of athletes, when they're done playing, have nothing. Damn. And I didn't want to be that. So I'm like, hey, man, what's happening? No, hey. no, 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 no. What is this? Mm. Like, and, like, I really had to learn business. When I went platinum, mm-hmm. my check was weak. I'm yeah. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like... Like, all these dudes go you play. sold hard copies then. Yeah. This was hard copies. Yeah, absolutely. Did, but, this wasn't no strings yeah, added yeah. in and but, the bootleg stuff. Then I'm like, this check, this ain't this way this ain't what I thought it was gonna be. Right. So now when I open them books, they charging me for studio time. Mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. Studio in my house. Right. Give me that back. Right. They charging me for, for catering. No, no, no. My chef cooked the meal for Biggie right. and Jay Z and I. So right. If I wasn't educated enough to look at that, I wouldn't Absolutely. be able to have my people call it. Man, they got me out of so much. But like after I opened up the books and looked at it, you got it. Man, I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. This is my studio. Right. I'm paying the engineering. Right. Oh, we miss it. No, no, my boy makes it. In my heart. I already paid him separately. So, right. like, so you just have to, you know, educate yourself. And you got to be up on your game all the way around the board. And you have to turn that sensitivity button off. Mm. So like, what you mean by that? When somebody say something about me, before I go to 10, I listen. Mm-hmm. All right, he right. Shaq shouldn't have did it. I listen first, like, mm-hmm. before I go to 10. If there's any validity into it, I say, okay, and I won't respond. But if right. you just cloud chasing or trying to do what you do. Bumping at the gums. Then I got to respond. Absolutely. How you get that mindset, Shaq? What made you start thinking, like, let me. Because I'm not right all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And I can admit and say I'm not the smartest guy in the room. And I want to learn from the smartest guy in the room. And you have to sometimes sit back and, you know, just humble yourself sometimes. And just, you know, just uh, say that. I learned that by going to one of those tech meetings. And you see all the yeah. all the, all the big boys. Yeah, they really know what they're doing. And they don't be saying nothing. Right. Just be sitting back. Like, why are you not talking? Uh-huh. And then all of a sudden you just hear, I'll put in 50 million. I put in 200 million. Right. Okay, that's how they do it. <laughs> so instead of coming in loud, I just sit back and, and 
just watch. I'm like, oh, okay, that, oh, okay. And then you just, and then you just write it down. I learned that from, from Magic. Magic. When I, when I first got to LA, Magic was like, oh, man, it's cool being a man, but at some point you want to start owning stuff. I didn't know what he was talking about. But then after, after I got that book, I started, my favorite word in the book is joint ventureship. <laughs> like for example, if I'm gonna do a podcast, I'm gonna get this crew right here. Absolutely. I do have a podcast called Big uh, Big Podcast with Shaq on uh, Podcast One. Just wanted to shout that out. But I believe it. Yeah, but instead of trying to do it myself, just do a JV. So so like when I had that record label, I left Jai, but I said I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm gonna still do business with y'all. Give me distribution. That's it. Absolutely. That's all I did. So and you and, and understand to the youth out there that. He was able to do that because even through him getting his $10 million, him having to open the books up, him doing all of those things, catching them with their hand in a cookie jar, <laughs> yeah. he still <laughs> kept it good business. Okay, I got caught y'all. Okay, cool. I got y'all. Y'all tried to get one over on me, but it's cool. Now I just need y'all for distribution. That's it. He ain't go off. He ain't ran on them all crazy, put their business out there and at the time. They just kept it moving, handled business, took the sensitivity out of the business. I understand what he's saying. He took the sensitive out of it, all the emotion out of it, and then came back and got distribution. And killed him. Because I wish I could talk to some of these kids that have beef. I could put them out. I would, I would just sit down and be like, listen, the world think we got beef. Now let's go make out. Let's... let's Jonathan A. here for Pro Boxing fans. Delighted to be joined by Johnny Nelson. Johnny, two days since Joyce and Dubois. Joe Joyce scoring scoring a 10th round stoppage over Daniel Dubois. What was your reaction? Um, I um, I was surprised he won. Because um, uh, I probably gave him one of the few that gave him the nod to pull the fight off. Um, I, my reaction is... It shows how uh, naive, how how much learning, how much more learning uh, the war has to do. Uh, so, so uh, his reputation has been built on his his, his um, offensive fight, how, how how effective he is. Unfortunately, unfortunately, his defensive fight uh, was exposed. Um, and so, what happens is, and I can remember being in the gym and. And you can spar with the guys that are a bit smaller, but the problem is when you come up against somebody that can hit your, hit your back and push your back, then you've got to be able to work on that. Uh, Dubois had, had, had breezed through so far as a professional, and and when he gave it, him giving it was enough. The thing is when he got it back. Um, and it's not that he was catching a beat, because he wasn't. He just bought a lesson. Um, he was he was beat by a, a simple basics of a jab. Um, and, and, and constantly kept walking the same shot, not getting out of the way of the shot, devised no way to slip the shot. He was just intent on his offensive style, which I get, which makes him exciting, which is why he's been so successful to this point. Um, my worry is the the aftermath um, of that fight, how it's going to affect him. Now, if he gets through it, it'll make him a better fighter. If he doesn't get through it, it'll affect every aspect of his life, uh, not just the boxing. 
because boxing is one of those few sports where everybody's your boss. Everybody has an opinion about how good you are and if you did well or if you did if you did, if you did bad. And you don't meet your boss. You meet your boss on the day you go to work and get your bollock in. Whereas with the fans, you don't meet them on in one day. It's never ending. So the fans are saying, remember that fight, you were crap there or you were good there. So Dubai, it's a massive learning uh, and some massive, massive character, uh, a test of character uh, in regards to how he deals with this. Fundamental basics were missing. And um, and he got exposed. He just got exposed. I thought Dubois, uh, uh, Joyce's jab was, wasn't fast. It was nothing special about it. It was just strong. And he just let, kept letting it go. Stuck to the basics, stuck to the plan. And when Dubois put the pressure on, he still stuck to the basics, stuck to the plan. Uh, and eventually, um, it was like water on stone. If you keep drinking water on stone, it, it'll, it'll start to make an impression. It'll start to show. And that's basically what was happening with the jab. You can't, you, with a big, especially the heavyweights, you can't be giving away shots uh, free from the heavyweights. And, and my worry for, in this fight initially was for Joe Joyce because even though I, I thought he'd win, I, I kept saying my worry is he gets hit too much. That's my only worry um, because they're heavyweights. And um, I think he did an excellent job. We've got to give credit where credit's due. We're talking about what, what, did, what I didn't do or couldn't do. Let's talk about what, what Joyce did do. Jo- Joyce was a seasoned amateur. He's done well as a professional. He's come through the ranks. Now, if right's right, he should be in Dubois' position and be number two behind uh, Alexander Usyk for the WBO title. Mm. Um, I mean, Joe Joyce, a lot of people, as you say, under well, not underestimating, but didn't believe he could pull this one off. What does it say about Joe Joyce's chin? Because especially early on, Daniel Dubois, we saw the early onslaught in the first couple of rounds, especially in the early stages of the first couple of rounds. What does it say about Joe Joyce's chin? Or did we already... Joe Joyce, has, Joe, Joe Joyce has got an amazing chin, uh, but it doesn't give him a free pass to go out there and think, it doesn't matter what you throw on me, I'm going to get you. Everybody, gets, everybody can get hit and up and, and switched out. Uh, Joe Joyce has got a tough chin. Uh, uh, some heavyweights, when you touch them on the chin, they show the vulnerability of a lightweight. Uh, some heavyweights, so they, they can hold a shot as well as give a shot. Um, in regards to Joyce, um, he, yes, he showed uh, that's one of his things he says he's blessed with. Uh, but there's a reason why he was so successful in the amateurs and as has been in the, in the pros. And I think this was overlooked by the Boas fans, the Boas promoter, management team, um, uh, because they thought, and Frank uh, Warren's a great promoter, um, uh, and he, he takes risks that usually pay off. This risk just didn't pay off. Uh, timing was, was not right. And uh, and uh, and I feel for 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 Dubois because because of the manner of the stoppage, because it was like a delay, like two second delay, like he got hit in the eye and then stopped and so and then went down on the knee and wait for the count to finish and got up. It was calculated. It was it wasn't and it did it seemed calculated. It seemed like it wasn't an instinctive move. Uh, and yes, uh, Cal Brooks has done the same. What's the difference? The difference is Cal Brooks. Um, it wasn't like he was he was going all going one way and he was bang bang on it and he caught a shot and then he came back caught another shot. The bar got caught with a jab, bam. So all of a sudden from from it being really positive for him and some of it had him ahead of points. The first time he got hit back properly where, where he was to be tested is when he went down and when he stopped to say, Well, I can handle this. 
So, so, and it seems like so he's going to get criticised for this for the style that's gone in, and it's very easy for people that have never boxed to say he, he quit. It's very easy for people that have never boxed and got, and got in the ring to say that because no, uh, you know, he's got, he hasn't got any heart. And it's also very easy for fighters to say, nah, nah, I go out, you'd have to knock me out cold, I'd have to be out cold. I don't believe that because what you do is you do what comes instinctively. And instinctively, if someone's hitting you in the head and they break a bone in your head, instinctively, you're going to, whoa, you're not going to say, nah, nah, I'm going to go out and shield them. It's easy to say that. I think that's proper bullshit. It's like, I suppose it's like a, an Alsatian dog attacking you. And it, it sticks its teeth into you. Automatically, you're going to try and whack that dog and get it off. You, there's no way you can put it. The smart thing to do is stay still, let it sink its teeth in so it doesn't rip your hand off. But instinctively, you try and grab it back. It, the, the, the bite's even worse. And, and so he did what was instinctive. What most people would do instinctively if you got hit in the eye socket and it breaks. So, and, that, and again, in our sport, because it's such a macho sport and it's just not the done thing, he's going to take a lot of stick. Uh, and he did quit. And, 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 and looking at it, I'd probably say the likes of Cal Brook did when he got hit in the eye and got popped. Because instinctively he said, look, you know, you've brought something here. This is dangerous. My life's more important than this game here. So, 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 because people are going to bring that up. Well, why didn't you say that with, with Brooke? Or why didn't you say that with the over? It happens. Uh, I just think wow. it's very hard and harsh for people to write him off. To oh, off. Um, because of, of that. They regret it. They regret the style of it. Uh, they regret, regret that, that, that quick decision. I don't, 
I get where he's at. I just feel for him because um, people will have a little initial knee-jerk reaction and, and, and make judgment. Uh, so it's just just one of those things. How crucial could this be? You said that it's going to be a test of his character to see if he can come back. He is only 23 years old. One defeat in his whole career. How beneficial could this be long-term, providing obviously the injury is not too too serious, although it does sound like he suffered what, what, a broken eye. It's better, off, it's better off that happening there at this point here, because if, you, if, the, if you're not a finished article, or it's, you've got more to learn. You need to learn all your mistakes. Uh, before all your eggs in one basket are on, in one basket. Off the so, so therefore, if it happens, it's going to happen now. Can you imagine <laughs> it happening at the world level? Can you imagine boxing at the world title? And, uh, and it happened at the world title level. But you still got ambitions, you still got dreams, you still can create excuses in the head for why he'll do better next time and why he still has a drive. But when you reach the top and you realise when you get to the top, you're not good enough. Where's your ambition? Where's, where's your dream? Where's your, your focus? Where's your drive? So we learn from this. And again, you know, I'm, I'm quite sure there's many fights that have been called to where fighters have lost early in their career and then come on uh, and then been learning from it. I did it. I was one of them. David Hay got stopped by Carl Thompson in his 10th round. He was the heir apparent from what David Hay did. Um, and so, Sean, I'm quite sure if we go back and we keep looking at fighters, we'll find <laughs> yeah, me, yeah. it's just the aftermath of the shock, the, 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 the reaction of people, that the words that, that will hurt more than anything else. Joe Joyce now moves on to possibly a world title shot against maybe Alexander Usyk. Do you think that's the fight next for him, or would you like to see him maybe fight someone else before? Well, deservedly, he deserves it. Remember, Dubois was in a position where he was the one that, if he won, he was to fight uh, Usyk right. if, if AJ gave the WBO title. Uh, so, rightfully so, uh, uh, Joyce should be in that position. That That's fair, it's fair. But we've also got to remember, Joyce and Usyk have fought each other in amateurs, and Usyk beat him, beat him well. Uh, so, how much has changed? And even though I rate Joe Joyce, and, and I, I really rate Usyk, I think Joe, Joe Joyce is made for Usyk. Uh, and um, so, so again, I can see where it's going. Uh, but, no, I'm hopefully proved wrong, but, uh, but fair space, he, he should have the crack if the crack becomes available. Um, just lastly on this, um, if Daniel Dubois comes back, what sort of level of fighter do you think he should face to get himself back into the mix? Well, he's clearly he's clearly top of the domestic mix, and that's when he's that's where he could get himself back in the mix again and see who's around and see who's where uh, in our in our UK top five, top ten, and top six, uh, and, and even on the European circuit, you know, he's still and this 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 was this is his step up into the big boys league, uh, so that's where he is. Uh, and Joe Joyce has proved his beyond that. He's now British Commonwealth and European champion. So uh, Joe Joyce, that, that's your gateway to fighting for world title. That's your official pass. Saying, like, I'm one of you. I'm in your game. Some fighters are on a European level. Some fighters are on a Commonwealth or British level. Joe, with that performance, has showed he's he's definitely European level because he's proved it. Uh, is Dubois? Um, you don't know. You don't know, I and mean, that's the question. The question mark still there. So you think he should fight someone domestically, or yeah. does he need that experience? Because what Sam Jones said before the fight was he didn't have that test, that Brian Jennings that, that Joe Joyce had. Does he need to fight someone like that? 
Yes, without a doubt. But he needs his confidence building back up first. So why would you get a brain genders or something like that that's going to give you nightmares uh, to get get back in there again? Because he himself, trust me, I've been I've been in his shoes where people called every name under the sun, and if enough people say it, you start to believe it. So he himself will think, "Why well, am I a quitter? Well, I've I, I, I jumped. You know, I'm a jump. I am a, I'm a jumper because if you're a fighter and you, when you get hit, you go down." And then you do it again. Instinctively, you always do it every time the pressure's on. So now he's going to be asking himself the question, will I do that every time I fight? So he's got to get his confidence built back up. Every opponent that fights him from this point on will refer back to that. And their trainers are saying he's a quitter. Keep the pressure on him and quit. Every time he fights and commentators are talking about him, or every time in the newspapers, they will always mention this, this fight, that he quit. Uh, not the fact that he came up against somebody that mm-hmm. being able to beat anywhere on paper. So, so, so this is going to be a mental job for him to, to, and that's why I say domestically, stay at domestic level. Have a couple of domestic ones first to build your confidence back up again, to, 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 to rub it out, get it out of your head, because you put him in with somebody that's like a Jennings uh, or former champion that's past his best but knows the ropes inside out. You twist him up. They'll twist him up and they'll think, no, nah, I don't want this. Second him off. But the, what's important for Joe Joyce now is the matchmaking from this point on. And the people around him. Rebuilding. It's going to be a tough job. It's going to be a tough job, but not an impossible job. Well, I think uh, we're finding out today if he needs surgery on, on the eye socket, so hopefully everything uh, goes well with that. Um, Moving on to this Friday night, Billy Joe Saunders returns against Martin Murray. Finally, that fight's on. Uh, what do you make of that defence for Billy Joe? Uh, I think Billy Joe should should handle that with relative ease. And again, it sounds like it's a probably big diss to, to Martin Murray, isn't it? I think we've just seen the best of Martin Murray. Uh, and, and, and Martin Murray's got an opportunity of Springboard himself batting it back in the mix again um, uh, to be considered again. Uh, so, as a, on a domestic level, it's a, it's a good shout. It's a good shout for, for Martin Murray. And, um, uh, but I think Billy has the beating of it um, because you can see he's, he's still on the, on the peripherals, waiting to see if he gets a crack at where he gets a crack at how Smith and Canelo will go on and, and so forth. Uh, so, um, so it's a good fight. It's a, it's a decent fight. What did you make of uh, Canelo Alvarez choosing to face Callum Smith, and how big a chance do you give Callum going into that fight on December 19? Well, Callum Smith, I've always said he's not the finished article. Uh, I've not seen that yet. Uh, but he's getting in there with a supreme box fighter. And um, so, for, for one, for. for, for, for Canelo picking him. Um, wow, big shouts. But remember, Canelo always knew who he was going to fight. He's probably had three, four months before his opponent knew. Smith knew it was him. Uh, so, and that's, that, that makes, it, makes a massive difference. Even though Smith had been ticking over training. Um, for Smith, he needs, this needs to be the night he, he, he becomes that the full factory can, can be. This needs to be that now because 
again, there's not a finished article, but everything has to be right for everything else. But there's no hesitation, there's no then otherwise I can see can Canelo increasing him up. You, I, I find Smith usually warms into a fight while when he starts letting the shots go, the, the shots he can come back with. But sometimes he needs to, to, to have one test before he lets that shot go. You can't afford to do that with Canelo. He's got to think instinctively, short, speed, fast, power. How crucial do you think his size could be in this fight? Do you think that's a key factor in Smith's favour? Is that going to suit Canelo more? can be a, a key factor. Um, I always thought to myself, I'm not late to when he's smaller than being beat with. Because you've got the height, you've got the reach, you've got the, uh, you've got the height, you've got the reach, you've got the movement. So, um, so, so, and you can bang. So, uh, I, uh, I think it's in, in Smith's favour. Uh, if Smith doesn't use all those tools to the best of his ability, then it's in Canelo's favour because he's got a lot of body to, to walk down, to jump on, to crease up, to pressure keep up close, make him try and park on the inside. So so it's a case of one fight using his attributes to the best of his ability and another fighter um, uh, taking advantage of something that that fight is letting slip. Two more uh, fights I uh, just want to get your opinion on. Uh, in the early hours of Sunday morning, the return of Errol Spence, a big fight against Danny Garcia. Mm. What sort of test is this for Errol Spence? Do you think Danny Garcia is going to be capable of pulling this off? Uh, it's, a, it's a tough fight and it's a tough ask uh, uh, for both fights. It's not a, it's not a given. Uh, the argument between Spence and Crawford, who's the best out there? Spence doesn't want to be looking past Garcia because Garcia will make him ask and make him answer certain questions. So Spence cannot afford to look past them. And, uh, and I think it'll be a tough fight. Uh, I think they expect Spence to win. Uh, on points, uh, it won't be pushover for him. He'll uh, have to completely show uh, a masterclass of performance to to try, probably try and um, establish his, his argument for, for being the best between himself and, and Crawford. Mm. You mentioned Terence Crawford. Um, obviously, beat Hellbrook in four rounds a few weeks ago. What did you make of his performance? Uh, I thought he was fine. He beat Kel with Kel's own shot. Uh, he switched, got him with a southpaw jab, uh, and, and he did it in a, in a very subtle way. Usually, we're from, I'm from a gym of switch hitters, but what happens is we're taught to when you get in there, you, you beat an opponent, you beat them, and, and the opponent doesn't realise they, why they're getting hit. And that's because they, they, they see you come out as orthodox, and then you end up switching midway fight, through the fight without realising it, and you're fighting them as, as, you're fighting them as southpaw, and you beat them as southpaw. So, um, so I just think that Cook uh, uh, did really, really well. He beat Kel with his own shot. Do you expect Kel to come back and fight, or do you think that's the end of the road for Kel Brook? Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, uh, if Kel um, walked away. It wouldn't surprise me at all, um, because he's, uh, he's done really well uh, in his career. He's made a lot of money in his career, so it wouldn't surprise me. What, what else is there out there for him? There's no point in even having dreams or aspirations about the the uh, Khan fight because I think that's past its sell by day and really you've got two fighters that are past the best. And finally, Anthony Joshua, Kubrat Pulev, a few weeks to go. Do you expect Joshua to fight how he fought against Andy Ruiz or do you expect the Joshua we saw against Povetkin, that sort of 
So I, I, I expect a massive improvement in Anthony Joshua. He'll adapt to what's in front of him, where he will, he will box fight. And if he has to change uh, style and adaptation, he will do. He, he, he learned a big lesson uh, with the Ruiz fight, and, and we, should, we saw uh, another side to his his artillery, his armour, which he had to introduce, to, which he had to learn about, had to learn to do. And so I think for Anthony Joshua. Um, I expect him to again uh, do something that we had to box fight and box fight well. Mm. Okay, Johnny Nelson, thanks again for your time. Uh, You're welcome. Been training today. How's uh, get get on it going? Your fitness program? Yeah, it's great. It's going really well, and uh, and that's why I'm in the dressing room. So it's not like I've just woken up. I've been uh, working out. Managed to get a, a quick shower again, and the uh, fitness program's going really well. It's. Uh, I can't believe I didn't do it ages ago. Um, but especially with being a retired fighter, it's something to to um, to keep my keep my finger and the thing I can do this. Well, I keep myself anyway. So, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's doing really well. Get involved in it. It's it's, 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 it's good. Uh, have you found the reaction? I spoke to um, Spencer a week or two ago. He says it's been really well received from the public. I, I'm actually surprised. And again, it's Spencer's idea. I'm actually surprised. Uh, how people have taken up, taken out because um, it was it's something that we do in the gym. It's something that we do to warm up, but it's something that is like so fundamentally important and can make such a massive difference. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's doing really well. I'm happy with Brilliant. it. Brilliant. And uh, yeah, so and last one. Where where can we where can we get it? Go online. Go online. Uh, Johnny Not Nelson. Uh, get on it at johnnynelson.com I think uh, but you can get it online it's available there brilliant uh, Johnny Nelson thanks very much for your time and uh, yeah we'll speak soon hopefully appreciate it rated M for mature delighted to be joined by Joe Joyce Fresh off an epic win, of a very impressive win over previously unbeaten Daniel Dubois on Saturday night on BT. Joe, how you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm doing well. I'm still a little bit bumped and bruised, but I'm in good spirits. I, I got the win. I proved all those doubters wrong, and hey, I'm coming for world titles it's very soon. It was an excellent performance, one of the best I've seen in a British ring this year. Completely outboxed him, took centre ring from the start and, and just forced him to fight at your pace and the type of fight you wanted. Was that all part of the plan? Was there a lot of time and effort going into creating that game? Power, like. Yeah, definitely. And I think there's levels to it. And my experience definitely had a, was like one of the key factors. Also, the tactics yeah. going in there. Tactics were great, and much the training that built up to that fight. <laughs> I mean, I did quite a few training camps uh, to prepare for it, and like with all with the postponements and stuff like that, it's great. I'm glad it actually is is happened. It's over, and I've won. You got on the front foot from the start. He didn't look comfortable fighting on the back foot, and after a kind of big burst in the third round, he seemed to gradually know. weaken from then on. Could you feel in there, either physically or mentally, that he was starting to kind of fade from round four or five? Yeah, I definitely noticed quite early on, he's, quite, he's heavy breathing. He's breathing pretty heavily. 
to like keep up with a with a with a pace and he threw a, a massive salvo at me on the, in the third round which I, I I think I blocked some slipped some and took uh, quite a few big shots in there and after that I it kind of he kind of, I, kind of, I think he kind of like put, he exerted a lot of energy doing that, and then I, the, the jab was still landing that I was throwing, and that was working. So I, I kept that up and kept breaking it down, staying staying away from his power shots in the later rounds, and and then see by round nine, I thought I raised, I raised my hand and I, I thought, yeah, I've got him, and then. Round ten, he just he took one last hard jab, and and that was it. And he went, and he put put his knee down. Give us an insight into how it feels, and you haven't experienced this much certainly as a professional, but how it feels when you're unloading on someone, you've knocked everyone out previously, and there's someone who just won't budge. Because that's how he must have felt with you. Yeah, I, I guess I had that that fight. I thought I I was going to knock out. Um, Brian Jennings, but he's a you know very good boxer, high level world title uh, world title challenger. So I've had that experience of having them kind of fights, and you just have to like end up winning with like your boxing skill, and uh, that's that's what I did. How hard does Dubois hit? Because you've been in there with him, you rode the shots, you slipped, you blocked. Great defensive performance, but you, like you said, you did take some. How hard does he hit compared to other people? Yeah, no, he hits hard. He's he's a strong guy, and um, I'd say yeah, he hits he hits very hard. Like, I think it compares to like maybe Bermainster Vern or or um, Ian Merson, that kind of power. I wasn't aware Bermainster Vern landed a shot on you. <laughs> You've given it away now. No, he did land a, fl- a flush right hand, uh, right hand over the top. I think. Oh, hit me full force. <laughs> Well done for taking it in that case. Yeah. Um, when it got but that's to not, obviously not something I want to rely on. I, I, I was using my head. I was quite um, impre- well, impressed with my work that from slipping his shots and, and following the tactics to you know use my footwork and stay off, off uh, out of range of his power shots. Yeah, and you use your footwork very intelligently to keep him on the back foot as well, which he wasn't at all accustomed to and clearly didn't like. Um, hold the centre of the ring. And I thought it'd be, I, I don't know, I thought it'd have been harder because I thought it'd be walking me down and cutting the ring off. And I don't know, I thought, you know, I, I, I thought it'd have been a lot harder, to be the, honest. But the jab was pivotal because they he couldn't walk you down because every time he stepped into range, he got popped with at least one jab, if not two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know that. You were there. You were the one popping it. So, um, Let's talk about how the fight ended because that's... Before we talk about it in detail, just the fact that a lot of people seem to be concentrating on how the fight ended, does that take away a little bit from your, your satisfaction with the win? They should be talking about you and how good a performance it was, right? Yeah, it seems a bit like, oh, it's because of what Daniel done. What, well, what about me? I was the one who actually won the fight and proved all the doubters wrong. And he came, like, stop, stop, stop this guy. Like, there's supposed to be the dynamite Daniel Dubois. And he got, um, 
and then he, he quit. Yeah, and I'll, I'll keep the bit about that brief because I don't want to take away from your achievement, basically. <laughs> but he did go down on one knee after taking that jab, kind of grimaced, dabbed at his eye, went down on one knee. And when that happened, did you expect him to, to get back up? No, no, I think he's had enough. And I, I, th- I felt at that time the fight was only going one way. I thought I was well ahead. I thought I was comfortable winning every round with a jab. And there's nothing really could trouble me because he was, I think he threw his best shots and I'd taken them. And what more is, I was, I was outboxing him with a jab. Like what more was it was going to happen with a fight? I would have, it would have got more and more busted up and then it would have ended the same way anyway. So it sounds like you kind of understand the action that he took, but it's drawn a lot of criticism, um, specifically from ex-fighters for the most part. The fact that, you know, the whole going out on your shield mentality. Yeah. It's hard for me to identify with that either way because I'm not a fighter. I haven't had any fight, any boxing matches or anything like that. But what, what do you think of the criticism he's currently receiving for making that decision in, in the heat of the moment? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I see both sides of it. I, on, like, if you want to be smart as well, I guess, like, he can. He's young, he can live to fight for another day, and he <laughs> saved his eye that could have been, like, you know, a career ending. could have been a career ending. In, 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 it could be a career ending injury. So, but, yeah, and at the same time, it's, um, you know, it's a warrior sport where, you know, you want to be, you want to end the fight, you know, you want to be carried off, off on your shield and be, you know, have a, a noble defeat. So I can see both sides of, of, of the equation. I think even he's speaking to his coach in the round previous, I mean, at the end of the round, before that, that he had had eye trouble or, so, or his eyes was hurting, but I think he... He must have got him to go out there again, and he took one more, and then he was—he decided within himself that that's enough. He's had enough. <laughs> and you went over to him at the end of the fight and, and put your arm on his shoulder. What, what did you say to him? Um, I said, yeah, just you know, I can't remember. But I, was, <laughs> I think I said like, you know, it's you know, he's still young, and you can come again, and plenty of time to improve like it, so something along them lines it sounds poignant <laughs> I'm sure it was <laughs> um, in the build up it seemed like you were a bit of an outsider in your own promotional company it's something that's been remarked upon before yeah and I was yeah and I was great both you guys um, now you've won the fight conclusively you go on, you're WBO, or you should be WBO number two ranked now. How does that work going forward? And do you feel that the team will now get right behind you? Well, well I hope so. We'll have to see how um, how things pan out. But, yeah, I'm um, looking to fight for that WBO title. And um, hopefully they can um, bring that on, to, on the table. Yeah, I mean... If Joshua vacates, and that's still a if Joshua vacates, yeah. be, it should be you against Usyk. Um, you spoke about fighting him immediately after the Quar um, victory. How excited are you about renewing acquaintances with Usyk? Of course, you pulled back. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it'll be an amazing fight for the world title. It'll be a very tricky one because he is so skillful and it is quite frustrating to fight a, a southpaw as skilled as he is. But it's, uh, it's over 12 rounds and he's going to have to take my punches and my work rate for 12 rounds. So it's And it's a fight that I believe I can win for my first heavyweight title and hopefully the belt gets vacated so I can fight for it. He's a, an Olympic gold medalist against someone who arguably should have been an Olympic gold medalist for a world title. I mean, that, that's pretty prestigious. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a great fight. Because for vacant world title fights, you often find people that aren't necessarily deserving getting in. But I think you against using no one could dispute that. That's, that's a really good fight. Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a great fight. And uh, I look forward to it. Hopefully it can be made. And... Uh, yeah, I'm just I'll just be uh, just be ticking over till till then. And one th one more thing I wanted to ask about at the bar fight was something that people talked about immediately after the fight was the comments he made at the press conference um, towards your mother and the fact that after appearing to uh, mock her um, issues with her vision, he was then beaten in a certain way also uh, with his eye. Do you yeah. see some kind of poetic justice in that, or are people just making too much of it? Uh, well, it's definitely karma, isn't it? <laughs> Instant karma. <laughs> well, yeah. And your mum at ringside seemed elated with your victory also, so she... she yeah, she's obviously very proud. And obviously, my dad and all my brothers and my family and my friends, everyone, so the moon my victory and, you know, a lot of them put little bets on and they're going to have a good Christmas <laughs> great stuff Joe it's been a pleasure to talk to you congratulations once again um, for the great victory and um, look forward to seeing you back in the ring soon <laughs> because it signifies conflict of interest Charlemagne let me help you I know that you have this healthy obsession with me. I know that you think we are competing. It, you might also think that we're fighting the same fight. You would be sadly mistaken in all three of those. This goes back to the Breakfast Club interview with Dame Dash. And he tried to tell y'all. But it went how it went when you're trying to explain something to people who just cannot imagine that. Yeah. Charlemagne, you're not going to get it because I own this. <laughs> my most valuable, my most powerful, my most accomplished asset. There's a reason for it. You, my friend, work for iHeart and have for 10 years. I came in here one day and said, yo, Stephen A. Smith got 10 million a year. I see him on everything. <laughs> he's doing the finals, sports center, he's interviewing athletes, he's fucking talking to Max, he's talking to this person, he's got a radio show, he's doing everything in the world. 10 million? Well, yeah, well, you know, I own some shit. <laughs> yeah. We got that part. But let's zero in on what it means. 
Charlemagne, you broke an entire you broke an entire radio station. Number one, morning drive. Ten years in a row. I asked him when I spoke to him, do you think you're paid properly for the work that you've done? <laughs> How much y'all make up there? You ain't got to answer it. <clears throat> you don't have to answer it. I know y'all know. Go to sleep and think about it. But 10 years at number one, breaking a radio station, breaking a network because it's iHeart. Right. They also have a podcast division. See, Charlemagne, for me, Joe would never do that because it signifies conflict of interest. Whoa, the radio has a podcast department. <laughs> no, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. I only thought the Spotify shit would make sense because they were fighting with the labels. Let's get them some money and see what they do with it. We synced it. <laughs> now we know. And I'm coming back to tell people. Like we've done historically. <laughs> we've. This has always been who we have been. I see people saying, there go Joe burning a bridge again. There's oppression on the bridge. <laughs> Years ago, I was like, yo, why Cap want to be in the NFL if the NFL is wild? They would have to make changes first. And that's what he, he ain't in. <laughs> he ain't in, he ain't trying to be in, he's still trying to affect change on the outside. I cannot have somebody with a voice as powerful as you just be misinformed on shit. Ten years, y'all, number one, how are you paid? I'm listening to your fucking ads. We're not having the same fight behind the scenes. It looks the same, but it's not the same. Don't be fooled by the cross streets. I'm walking this way. You started your YouTube page in 2019 of August. I'm behind the scenes saying, no, you cannot insert SAI into 400 episodes of Back Catalog. <laughs> you cannot ruin user experience this way. Know why? Because it's fucking mine. And since you don't understand that, Charlemagne, let me paint a different example for you. Let me come to your house every day and paint over 400 of your favorite sneakers. A different paint every day. <laughs> Would you let me? You? You? No, of course you wouldn't let me fucking do that. It's silliness. I'm on the phone with Charlemagne, listening to my brother fight for oppression. <laughs> it don't make sense. And he don't even under, he don't even see it still. It bothers me when I have to waste time to turn around and explain some shit to somebody that's right. But fine, let's do it. Charlemagne, they ushered your ass right out of the HBO doors. Why? According to you, for something you didn't do. <laughs> That's oppression. <laughs> That's what happens when you don't have your own. We're not fighting the same fight at all. Your MTV2 show. Where is it? It's gone. Know why it's gone? Because white people said it should be gone. <laughs> white people didn't see the value 
in your amazing show, Charlemagne, that you were pulling creators up from Twitter, giving them a look, letting them eat. It was a good show. It don't matter if it's good, Rory. Oh, no, not if we don't, if we don't have the power to keep it here, I know the point. <laughs> the exact point you're making. Am I off? No, no, no. I don't know. Get your own. Hundred percent. You can't. And that's why a lot of you listen. It's a lot of these racist niggas that play both sides. They know the values with the blacks, but they won't share with us. They're getting cool with the racists behind the scenes. It's a lot of us that say we want to emulate the hoes and the puffs. And the, is that Byron Allen? Yeah. The Byron Allen. The, it's a million names I could pull out right now. But you, the masterpiece. Mm-hmm. The Kanye's, all of the people that had to change status quo to come back and show us how to do it. (laughs) But they have to speak in codes just like they fucking had to do in the slave days. I watched the Yousef Hawkins doc the other day, came in here and talked about it. Know Know what it instantly brought me to? When Chub Rock put out Treat Em Right, I was dancing my ass off. Never forget, you said Hawkins, and when you walk in, you don't just stutter. Black on black, remember that. It's important. I was a kid. Right. My brother, who I did not know, was coming to talk to me. <laughs> Public enemy. Fight the power. Marvin Gaye. What's going on? Sam Cooke. A change gonna come. This is not new. Every decade is us speaking through our mediums, alerting our people as to what is going on. I cannot have someone as powerful as you be as ignorant as you fucking sound. You too important. Your voice too loud. Imagine if it was another nigga moving like me and you doing that over at iHeart. Imagine what happens. Shout out to everybody choosing to do it whatever way they see best fit. I'm not angry at you. My issue comes when you use your very powerful voice to shit on something that you just will never understand. (laughs) Like Dame sat there and said to you, yo, if you're not funding your shit, we're not having the same talk. I'm funding this. Charlemagne, you've been number one 10 years at iHeart fucking mass media conglomerate. And you're just talking your network. But you're not paying for nothing. So what splits are you about to get? (laughs) That's what Spotify said to me, Charlemagne. (laughs) They said, hey, we want to participate in something that we're not building. (laughs) And I said, no. I've never asked for anything. I've never asked for anything. There's been no negotiation because there's nothing to negotiate. I'm looking at how you treat people. What do we, what, what is there to discuss? I came here for information. 
This entire time you've been giving me information. You approach me eight months into the joint. Hey, here's a new deal. I want to fuck you in. We said no. <laughs> they come back. They come back in December. Uh, oh, uh, they mad about it. No bonus. Cool. The bonus is written in the contract. It's written there. Hey, if you hit this, you get this. Guess what? If the people making the rules change the goalposts, you don't get it. Charlemagne, you'll never know the true value of Breakfast Club when you're in a fucking multimedia conglomerate and they just gonna cross collateralize cross collateralize everything. The other day you was telling me something about Farrakhan. Farrakhan. I know that's gonna do a reality. <laughs> if, they, if they knew, like, oh, he's true, like, <laughs> the truth, the truth, style, like. The billionaire Style, building this 60,000 square foot 11 bedroom mega mansion in Florida likes everything supersized. He spent 4 million bucks on a 150,000 gallon resort style pool. And another 2 million on the first ever IMAX home movie theater. But the owner isn't just splurging on jumbo size amenities. He's also pouring huge amounts of cash into the tiniest detail. Cost him over five million to accent inch after inch of this palace with 22 karat gold leaf. It's the same type of gold as a technique applied from the 18th century in France. Nicolas Garnier is in charge of the crew painting on the precious metal. He had the highly skilled artisans working on the scaffolding flown in from France. Everything's getting the Midas touch like the $500,000 front doors imported from Germany, the railings on the $2 million staircase, and the moldings on the walls and ceiling. This ornate paint job will take months to complete. The process is quite long, especially when there's a lot of gold leaf, because you need to apply the gold very specifically just on molding, and this takes a long, long time. Just as construction was winding down, the owner decided to make his monster mansion even more massive. These are renderings of a giant sports complex. He's adding a bowling alley, nightclub, and go-kart track to the compound. But even though the owner continues to pour more money into the project, he's decided not to move in. He's putting his dream home on the market for a whopping $159 million. Super broker Mai De La Vega is looking for the right buyer. What kinds of people have been asking about it, looking at it. I think we've had tremendous interest from the Gulf region. <laughs> Dubai, the Gulf region, they like gold. They love gold. Mai says that some of the prospective buyers she's meeting are so rich, they only want this property as a vacation home. I think this is like an exquisite jewel that Sotheby's sells in their auctions. It's a trophy property with tremendous attention to detail. Details that make this mansion one of the most expensive homes in the country. This is how you'd assume a model like Alina Baikova drinks her morning coffee. Perfectly made up and dressed in sexy lingerie. But today, she's working. Spending the day posing in some of the most <laughs> expensive undergarments that money can buy. But getting your hands on them is as unlikely as having coffee with a cover model. All our fittings are very limited. Claudia Lambeth hired Baikova and fashion photographer Richard Bernardin to shoot the catalog for her couture lingerie label, Luna May London. You can't buy it in stores, 
but if you're in the right city at the right time, you can get a private fitting appointment with Claudia, as long as you've been referred by a VIP. What I wanted to do is to invite a woman to beautiful experience of luxury. The fitting experience usually takes place at a posh hotel suite. Claudia pops a bottle of bubbly and shows her clients the line. All of our bras, they start at $700. If you'd like a gold fitting on your piece, so we offer those at $400 per piece. Two 18-karat gold slides and rings boost the basic bra price up to $2,300. This robe with embroidered sleeves, which takes more than 20 hours to sew, sells for $2,800. And there's this, but don't call it underwear. We have a lace knicker, which all has nine bits of 18-karat yellow gold, and that knicker retails for $9,000. All of Claudia's creations are handmade in an English atelier using Chantilly lace and French silk. We offer a lot of exclusivity through our pieces. And although Claudia can't promise that you'll look exactly like a lingerie model, she does promise that you'll feel as special as one. If you're wearing something incredibly beautiful beneath your clothes, it can transform your confidence and what you feel about yourself. And we really do want to make a woman feel their absolute best. <laughs> There are mega yachts, and then there's this. These guys come around very rarely. A more than $200 million supersized trophy yacht that only a billionaire could afford. Multi-billionaire property. Rupert Nelson is one of the top yacht brokers in Monaco. Right now, he's hunting for an ultra-wealthy client who wants to live large on 279 feet of floating opulence. It's called Solange. Super Yacht's six decks are filled with every luxury you can imagine. And some <laughs> you just can't. There's a jacuzzi tub trimmed with rose quartz that glows. A five-story tall gold-plated sculpture called the Tree of Light that's covered in 4,000 lights. Speaking of lights, three custom-made Austrian crystal chandeliers hang from gold-leaf-covered ceilings in the dining room. Sure, it's really fancy, but this level of over-the-top is not for stuffy rich people. This blinged-out boat is built for letting loose. How many bars are on this boat? On this boat, last count, four bars. We're touching 30 bar stools throughout the four bars. To make happy hour even happier, this one's got gold-leaf tiles and space for 14. The good times continue on the top deck which also turns into a dance floor at night, complete with mood lighting. The ship's spa level includes a beauty salon, walk-in sauna for 10, steam room, and a hydrotherapy bath. Just a few levels below are seven VIP guest suites, an onboard movie theater, and a garage filled with jet skis and a custom-designed tender. We can't reveal who the owner is or why he wants to sell. But we can tell you he definitely enjoys his privacy. This is the owner's suite. He has the entire deck to himself. He also got to soak in the best views on the whole ship from the comfort of his bed. You can be looking at the mountains of the island that you're anchored off, or similarly, you could be looking out to sea. At the center of the master suite hangs a grand chandelier filled with thousands of sparkling crystals. There's also a giant flat-screen TV that pops out of a gemstone-covered chest and decadent his and her bathrooms with separate walk-in closets. Not to mention the owner's private sun deck and jacuzzi. Wow! When Solange's owner entertained friends, he 
get it in the Grand Salon. There is a lot of bling in this room. Very shiny. Gold, crushed velvet, purple. This is really an ambiance creating room. It sells itself. If it does sell itself for over $200 million, the new owner better have a boatload of cash just to keep it afloat. You're looking at shy of 10 million US, depending on how hard you push her. That's 10 million per year just to keep salons running. To build a new one of these today, how long would it take to get it? You're looking at at least five years. All of our clients, they worry about the time. Here you go boating tomorrow. You've almost convinced me that I'm getting a bargain at 200 million bucks. You're getting a bargain. In one word, how would you describe 2020? Well, if you happen to be a billionaire, lucrative would probably be your word to describe the year. If you've been watching my channel this year, you know that January 2020 set a record for the number of major CEOs who stepped down in a month. And that number only continued to rise through February, meaning that before the lockdowns began, those CEOs were able to cash out on their stocks. Since March of this year, billionaires saw their wealth grow by $1 trillion. Yeah, you heard me right, one trillion dollars. Somewhere in the heart of New York City, champagne is free-flowing into crystal flutes at some exclusive and not-so-socially-distanced gathering, at the top of some imposing tower. Meanwhile, only a few blocks away, the eyes of Dr. T.J. Eckelberg cast their gaze over the Valley of Ashes, where the rest of America resides. With unemployment rates high across the country, one in six renters nationwide who haven't caught up on their rent, Nearly 26 million adults, or 12% of all adults in the country, reported that their household didn't have enough to eat in the last seven days. Nearly 7 million Americans are facing evictions at year's end as defaulting mortgages seem to be on the horizon with the CDC's temporary suspension on evictions due to end December 31st. But no worries, because Amazon's Jeff Bezos had his wealth grow from $113 billion in March to $182 billion in October. Dan Gilbert, who is the chairman of Quicken Loans, a mortgage lending company, watched his fortune balloon from $6.5 billion in March to $43 billion in November. And we can't forget about Elon Musk, who supposedly surpassed Bill Gates on the Forbes list. His wallet grew by $100 billion since the beginning of the year. While Americans were having trouble feeding their families and paying their rent, it was reported that in March of 2020... Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos had asked for government funding to the tune of $5 billion in grants or loans to keep commercial space company employees on the job in their launch facilities open. During this time, Bezos actually started a relief fund for his employees that encouraged everyone to donate to his contract employees and delivery drivers during the lockdown. So not only did Bezos ask for handouts from the government, but he asked for donations from peasants like you and me to keep his employees paid. All while pushing fear and supporting the furthering of lockdowns through the propaganda mouthpiece known as the Washington Post that Bezos bought back in 2013. Now, if you don't know me, you might think I sound pretty anti-capitalist. Capitalism is, by definition, an economic and political system in which a country's trade and industry are controlled by private owners for profit, rather than by the state. I'm simply anti-government enforced monopoly. It's important to note this distinction. Capitalism doesn't exist when the state puts pressure on small businesses to lock down, just like they did back in March. We're talking local brick-and-mortar establishments who will never reopen. 
It was recently reported that nearly one-third of small businesses in New York and New Jersey are still closed since January amid the pandemic. Meanwhile, Amazon benefited from the pandemic more than any other retailer because the government decided Amazon facilities were essential and sold essential items as though no germs could ever survive on Amazon's cardboard boxes, but they could definitely survive on the surfaces of small businesses. So when you can't go into town for what you need, there's obviously an increased demand for e-commerce. And when you control both the institutions profiting the most and the media outlets disseminating the information to the public, cranking out fear that renders people unwilling to leave their homes to shop for what they need, it's easy to see how a controlled demolition of small businesses took place. And how the middle class is totally being eradicated through a virus that most people, asymptomatic people, otherwise known as healthy people, have to get a test to know they have. To put the wealth of the 1% into perspective, billionaire wealth is now twice the amount of wealth held by the bottom 50% of all American households combined, or approximately 160 million people. Of course, those are the billionaires and numbers we know about. The richest people in the world aren't on the Forbes list. Most of us don't even know their names. They control the fake money and fake monetary system. The whole system of debt slavery for the 99%. So the whole point of me highlighting the wealth redistribution this year isn't to get you to watch the world burn with me. Once a pattern emerges, it's easy to see what will happen next and where it's all headed. But unfortunately, what isn't easy is getting others to see what's happening right in front of their face. Now please tell me if you're noticing seeing the same things I am. Leading up to Thanksgiving, there were numerous articles saying that Thanksgiving was going to be a super spreader event because there were so many selfish people who wanted to get together with their family after nearly a year of the new abnormal. After Thanksgiving, all I've seen are articles saying that hospitals are bracing themselves for impact as they anticipate the number of cases, not necessarily deaths, rising as a result of collective selfishness. In response to the number of rising cases, states are implementing restrictions and furthering lockdowns, which directly negatively affects the finances of the middle class, as we saw earlier this year. This is all leading into the Christmas season, which we directly correlate with being inside with friends and family. So inevitably, you'll see a rise in cases because it's cold and flu season. People are inside more, they get less vitamin D and less fresh air, their immune system suffers as a result. That's how it's always been, that's how it works. On the political front, Dr. Michael Osterholm, the coronavirus advisor to Joe Biden, said a four to six week nationwide lockdown would help bring the virus under control in the U.S. Can you imagine the financial impact if small businesses are forced to close for another month while Walmart, Amazon, Home Depot, and other major retailers remain open? The result will be no more small business, no matter what measly stimulus package is passed. On a personal level, what are you going to do with your $1,500 government check? Pay your rent for another month? Hire a babysitter to sit at home with your children during their distance learning so you can go to work? I'm theorizing that this chain of events is leading up to the acceptance of universal basic income. People are already begging the government for checks because they're desperate. As the World Economic Forum predicted, I think it was the World Economic Forum anyway, you'll own nothing and you'll like it. Build back better. Neo-feudalism and vaccine passports. Gotta get the rush vaccine in order to travel, return to work or school, or get your monthly check from Uncle Sam. When we were saying it months ago, they called us all conspiracy theorists, but now they just call it the future. And all of that sounds pretty daunting, and I don't mean to be doom and gloom. I only mean to point out how little resistance to the system has occurred because people are afraid. They're so afraid to die that they forget that living is the whole point. 
They've manufactured the consent of many, but it doesn't have to be that way. You can say no whenever you would like, and in the process, you might inspire others to do the same. It's a starting point, at least. What do you think, internet friends? You know, I always look forward to your comments. I appreciate you supporting my content on Patreon, subscribing, and following me on social media. More videos to come in December, so make sure to check back. Bye.
lean on them on just buy a house from the sheriff's cell that costs X, Y, Z. You know what I'm saying? And we're doing this and we're doing that, which ain't nothing wrong with it. You know what I'm saying? But at the same time, we on some shit right now. You know what I'm saying? We on some shit right now. This is the shit that... Some shit that's just undeniable. 
Niggas, music is next level shit. I know niggas ain't fucking with me on that. You know, it don't matter how humble I am. You know what I'm saying? I ain't even afraid to say it. When I start talking that talk, nigga, I'm, 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 I know I got some shit. You know what I'm saying? Old nigga, new nigga, don't matter who it is. Nigga, I know that I hold my own. You feel me? I know every nigga around me just really be on some shit. So, it's just that, you know, we just on some other shit right now. We just mentally just not where we want to be. So we take time back and, you know, we gonna take a step back. Sometimes you take a step back and take 10 steps forward. So that's just what it's on. That's just where we at. To the, to, the, to the more current stuff, like I uh, know you just dropped a visual as of lately, you said you about to get back in your bag and all that, so before we get to all that, let's, let's take them back a little bit to show them a little bit more of, uh, of the story of how you got to this point. So, you basically were saying that after you came, you, you caught a drug case back in like 2011, you said, and then people counted you out and you came home and Meek showed you love and all of that. So, before, he, before y'all actually did any business and all that stuff together, Talk about what your steps was from that point. Once you came home, what did you do? Like, you dropped the project. How to, how to, how to, I when I came home, I dropped the airplane mode. Shit, it was about Don Cannon. Right? That was the first project I did. And, um, and when I came home, I, I had a different level of hunger with me because when I was in jail, I was seeing a lot of niggas um, elevate. I was seeing a lot of niggas come up. So when I came home, I was on some shit. Like, damn, you know what? I'm going to stay in the studio. I'm going to drop this project. I'm going to drop that project. I did the Mop G show, which got me a lot of love. Then I turned around. I did the Cosby. But matter of fact, before I did the Cosby Care, that's what Yeah, I did Cosby Care. I did the Come Up show for Airplane Mode. And I was talking my talk. And Kev said some shit to me that he was playing with. He was like, damn, you ain't let me host the tape. And that's what he should have never said that because I talked that. I said, oh, yeah, you want to host the next one? And I stood on it. He was like, no, I got you. And I thought he was playing. And, you know, I dropped my next project, Stone Top recipe and um he really hosted it mentally when i dropped through top recipe i wasn't where i I needed to be at because i was going through some issues in the streets where niggas i consider family and then my family you know what i'm saying and and to be honest with you like i was fucked up like you know what i'm saying because these is niggas that i once loved you know what i'm saying and now it was like to a point where it's like i'm doing shit to niggas that i once used to have love for so now, mentally, I ain't where I need to be, so when I dropped the project, I gave it to him, but I ain't give him, I ain't give him my best work, you know what I'm saying? They're like, oh, come on, man, like, that wasn't really your best shit, and like I said, I took a step back, I took 10 steps forward, and dropped Gangland, and that Gangland woke the streets up, they said, oh, this boy's serious, so... You know, that's where we was at. That's like every step I summed it up, you know what I'm saying? So I ain't had to take 20, 30 minutes talking about it. But when I did that, who does right here? I don't know. Yeah, grab that joint, Yeah, man, it's a lot going on up here, man. We out here shooting the interview, so niggas slide up, niggas on some shit like, yo, the fuck is these niggas? Niggas ready now, thinking it's about to go down. They come to find out your niggas, y'all folks, or whatever. Man, I mean, it's a real shaky, man. You know, I, I'm never, like, too comfortable. I'm like that everywhere, though. Like, no matter where I'm at, I'm just, I don't know if I'm I'm paranoid. I say being paranoid, save my life. You feel me? I, I've been in too many situations, though. Any nigga that's really a street nigga gonna know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. You can't slam a car door around me the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? Without me jumping. You know, what the fuck is that? Like, you know what I'm saying? So I ain't bitch, I'm just cautious now. So yeah, when you last left off, I mean, you was telling us, I mean, I just want to um, bring them back to it. So you was basically telling us that you did a project, the airplane mode hosted by the legendary Die Cannon. Mm-hmm. I mean, then you followed that up with a project hosted by the legend Cosmic Kev. And um, um, Stone Top Recipe. When I dropped Stone Top Recipe, I wasn't mentally where I needed to be at, though. 
because I, I was beefing with niggas that I had love for at the time. You know what I'm saying? I ain't got love for them no more, but at that time I had love for the niggas. So mentally, me trying to make music, and then it's like I'm going through it with my family. I beef with my family, and like it was like a real like you know people was getting hit and all types of shit was going on. You know what I'm saying? I can't even speak too much on it because you know stuff happened. You know what I'm saying? And um, there's just a lot of shit was going on with me. So at that time, it just was like mentally. I wasn't where I needed to be at, and I, I tried to make a project, it ain't really come out, a lot of people ain't like the project, so it was like, you know what I'm saying, I had to take a step backwards, and people was telling me at the time, like, man, we like, we like the rubber band guap guards, we need that guards back, we need that guards back, and I needed that, I needed motherfuckers to tell me I fell off, cause I know I ain't fall off, I knew what I was doing, and I said, I right, say no more, I'm gonna do what I... I'm gonna do what I used to do. I'm gonna go get Rob to host the project. I'm gonna make that music with the regular producers again. You know what I'm saying? The hungry producers instead of me reaching out to the Don Cannon. Not no disrespect towards Don Cannon or Copy Kev. It's just that I know I needed, I know I had to do what I needed to do in order to go ahead and level up again. I had uh, some young niggas that was around me, both Lito, rest in peace with Lito. Young me was my heart, you know what I'm saying? You know, and then a couple other little young niggas I had started recruiting because I like their energy and I like, you know what I'm saying? Having young hungry niggas around me while I'm focused on going in the door, what I need to do. And you know, um, as the next shit just started going up, man, a lot of shit started going up. And I know I started getting the love I needed to get me and my homies. We went like 10 deep to the car lot and everybody bought a farm. You know what I'm saying? Everybody bought a farm car, like, and was just on some shit, like, and it felt good. I felt good at that time because I know I was putting people in position to make some money and we were seeing the results. You know what I'm saying? Hey, Rick, stand next to the car door the whole time, Rick. So it's nice. It's right there on the seat. But, like, yeah, so it just was like, you know what I mean? Shit like that, though. Like, niggas just started, like, leveling up. You know what I mean? And I, I felt good about it. You know what I'm saying? And then, of course, anything that go good, it's always talk about some shit going bad. You know what I mean? We lost what we did, though. Everybody in the family feels some type of way. They didn't have me down homicide two, three times, feeling like, you know, I was behind it for whatever reason. You know what I'm saying? Which is bullshit. Anybody that know me know that I'm 100% loyal nigga. You know what I'm saying? I don't ever get into no fuck shit. But... Niggas that started the room, but they had their own agenda, and them niggas was pussies for real, for real. And, um, you know, of course, you know, they was talking like that to his mom and his sister, the females, that started running with the shit, which I thought was weird. You know what I'm saying? So, it just was like a lot of fuck shit start going on again. And it was like, now it was like, we dealing with regular old bullshit that I'm going through on a day-to-day. You know what I'm saying? I'm still in the hood. I'm dealing with all this fuck shit going on, and it's just like, you know. So moving forward, and I mean, fast forward a little bit past that, like you said, you did the projects. Um, you worked with a lot of different people in the city, a lot of people that was, and I mean, like legendary in the city, a lot of people that was in position, like y'all really was in the mix as a squad and individually. So speak on, like, moving forward, like, dipping in and out of rap, like you said, you've been in the streets and or going through stuff in the streets, then you still trying to maintain the rap, rap thing. So prior to you getting the state with me and all of that, where was Gussie at with it first, music-wise, like your latest project, and after you did that, like, where was you at with it? Where was I at? Yeah. Like I said, I felt good at that time. I was getting some money. Like, anytime we talk about money, I feel good. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't out here on no fuck nigga shit. I, I got money the, the right way and was putting niggas on their feet. So, I was, that's where I was at with it, and then, you know, I had some OGs around me telling me, man, you need to buy some property. And when they did that, my life changed. So that's where I was at.
so yeah, so moving forward, I mean, once you once you became officially a part of the team, you had the DC staff and all that. Um, an event took place. I mean, it was a celebrity basketball game or something like that. I mean, we ain't got to get into the situation because we did an interview with Premier. He basically explained like it was some kind of some some street shit that kind of spilled off into that situation. But I want to ask you because on all of the blogs, I'm talking about every major blog in the industry pretty much had posted it, and they posted it like Meek Mill artist.
pictures and shit. I'm not like an Instagram. Bro, that shit ain't my life. I'm not on the Instagram my whole life. Nigga, I'm doing a thousand things. I'm mad niggas video I don't share. I don't share a lot of eat the shit. Y'all niggas is crazy, bro. That shit is crazy, bro. That shit is crazy. It's time after time after time. Like, time after time, niggas is like, I'm just glad I'm not dealing with real demons. Real, real demons. Real, real gangsters. Because I'd have been out of here because... Nigga come around me, nigga, if I'm like, if I feel away about a nigga and I got access to it, nigga, I ain't going to throw the grain. <laughs> fuck, fuck, no, fuck the, <laughs> like, fuck the line, nigga, I'm going to holler at a nigga and put niggas be around me. <laughs> <laughs> come on, please, like a shit, it's shit, I miss, I miss shit, yeah, I miss poof, nigga. Oh, for the time, man, let's I Over and over and over. 
shit don't, that shit is, that shit is that. <laughs> I want niggas to be like, list all the shit, list all the shit that you did for me. <laughs> details, specific details though. I need specific details. Real shit, no lies. And then go. And, 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 and then go, you know what? I did all these shits. Now, you owe me this. Cause I have never in my life went on the internet ever and said what I did for niggas, bro. And what I feel like niggas owe me. Come oh, on, man. Niggas gotta sturdy up. Niggas gotta man up, bro. That shit whack, bro. That shit whack. I don't even care about that shit. I just be expecting more niggas cause I really be liking niggas like. I really be fucking with niggas. I really, be, I really love niggas. So that shit, be, that shit be fucking me up. That shit fucks me up, bro. <laughs> that shit fuck me up when you don't even know how a nigga really feeling about you. You be like, damn, like, goddamn. You be like, goddamn, bro. <laughs> that shit crazy. Look, look, like lucky thing. I, like, know what I mean, I'm just glad I'm not dealing with the real thing, bro. Fact, I love shit get you killed, bro. Cause you know. Well, the good thing is these ain't real things. Cause I'd have been out of out of the line. Like, you know, when nigga, when nigga, real, when nigga, real, when real demons ain't fuck with you, and the niggas come around you, they on your ass. <laughs> <laughs> that shit crazy, bro. Yeah, you know it's back to the music. Man. I don't let nobody respond to this type of shit. I don't. I usually don't respond to this type of shit. I usually don't care about this type of shit, but. I really usually don't care about the type of shit. I ain't gonna care. That shit crazy, bro. You really fuck with niggas. You really love niggas. That shit weird. That shit be weird. Like, nigga don't really know how that shit feel. Nigga think you the only, think you the only nigga. <laughs> nigga, you the only nigga that feel like this. Like, you think I don't got that fucking... <sighs> Come on, my nigga. I got real blesses. I got real cousin, real thing, like... I got a real fan that feel like I should be doing more for them. And they just took them out with friends that I just, like, come on, my nigga, like, let's be real, boy. Like, let's be real, bro. Let's be real, my nigga, like. I keep, yeah, bro, I'm not even get like, come on, my nigga. Niggas is different, bro. Niggas is different. I die, God forbid, yeah, I love it. Like, I'm doing this anything for fuck. My niggas is crazy, man.
Nah, nah, pussy. <laughs> nah, you know how I fuck with you, all Nah, boy, shit, just fuck with me up. Shit, just be fucking with me a little bit. I eat it, you know, eat it, don't be like it. Shit, just be fucking with me a little bit. But that shit is weird, bro. It's like, especially just damn, bro.